Writer's Block, State of the Comic Union, proudly presented by Log. It's big, it's heavy, it's wood, it is better than bad, it's good, it is Log. Get it now! I am Rylan Grant, <laughs> screenwriter, Ringo Award-winning creator of fine comics like Aberrant, Banjax, and The Jump. The other voice in the dark, the man in the box to the left is... David Avalone, screenwriter, comic book writer, and drunken reprobate. Love it, love it, love it. Um, uh, if you missed any of our previous conversations, episodes featuring comic luminaries like David F. Walker, Matt Fraction, Stan Sakai, Kevin Eastman, Cecil Castellucci, Alex DeCampi, uh, John Lehman, and many, many, many more. Entire catalog can be celebrated via YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and other purveyors of worthwhile ear cracks. So double on back and check it all out. Um, but we have a great show for you today. Before we get into that, uh, a shameless plug. Um, my Kick You in the Teeth and Not Anywhere Else astral projection thriller uh, titled The Jump is currently available via Kickstarter, issues one and two. Uh, it is a badass comic ride. I highly suggest you uh, hop on to um, Kickstarter. Did I say YouTube? Kickstarter and check that out. Uh, why not YouTube? It, why not what, YouTube? Uh, it's what date does that end? Uh, the 22nd. 22nd of April. Y yeah, so when we, um, the 22nd of April, yeah, so when we premiere, we'll have about two weeks left. So uh, two weeks to get in there and, and get at it. It's a great comic book. I think it might be the the best, uh, at the very least, the funnest thing I've, uh, I've put out there. So check it out. Um, but yes. again, great show, great show today. Let's, uh, let's bring the guests on. Huh? Let's bring in Barbara and Bryant Dillon. Hello. And Hello. David Acampo. Hey. David, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I'm the new one here, so I, I get to go first, right? <laughs> hey, 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 new guy. <laughs> Obviously, I'm a writer uh, and designer, actually. Um, and uh, I am, gosh, I don't know what people would know me for at this point. Uh, one of the first things I did uh, was a audio drama, one of the early pioneers in, in audio drama podcasting with a show called Wormwood, A Serialized Mystery, uh, which is still out there on Apple. And when I say pioneer, that usually means I did it before we could make money doing it. So, you know, <laughs> I, am a web, I am a web series pioneer. So I told totally you, go. you know what I'm talking about. I did, I did a web series in the year 2000 when maybe 5% of the country had broadband. Exactly. Yeah. So so we most, people, most people, most people experienced it as a radio show with the occasional fascinating still photo. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Yeah, we we kicked this off in 2007. And it's interesting because it ended, I think, maybe 2011. But to this day, people still discover it. And um, and I get notes every once in a while, so, like sometimes through Twitter, one time through LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> somebody just want to connect on me on LinkedIn to say, hey, I love your show. <laughs> Uh, but since that point, um, we I moved from that. I did a little short, some short films before that. Then we kind of were the amount of effort, and you guys will know this. You all know this is the amount of effort it takes to do a short film of Talking Heads, and the amount of time we decided. Well, what what if we just got rid of the picture, just worked with actors and told our stories in audio, and now we have this global platform called podcasting that was relatively new at the time. And uh, so, so that ran for a while. That led into, I, I'm a huge comic book fan, grew up with comics. So that led right into um, 
uh, a spinoff that was published by Hermes Press uh, back in 2012 that was called Sparrow and Crow, which was two of our main characters. Um, and then from there, it's been a few comics since then. I've done a book called Lost Angels with a, a frequent partner of mine, Chris Anderson, um, a sci-fi, urban sci-fi series. Uh, also The Margins, which was published by the lovely folks at Fanbase Press. <laughs> uh, plug, plug, um, which, you know, is a wonderful book and I'm very proud of it. And uh, after that, I, I was ended up in the DC uh, talent development workshop. And so I got to do a little bit of work for them. Um, and then I, you know, from there, I ended up writing video game, a video game for a little bit, uh, writing a licensed comic book. And, uh, you know, I think we're going to talk about the state of the industry a little bit. So I'll just leave my, <laughs> I'll leave off there what, because the next couple the, years got a little rough. <laughs> what was the licensed book? Well, it was a licensed book called Dreadnought. It was a very short-lived video game that I think uh, didn't do so well when it launched. But uh, I was hired by a uh, publishing company that uh, was working on a that was working on some aspects of it and wanted wanted to do a uh, a digital comic tie-in. And so it was really great because we got sort of this outline. But it was a it's a it's a video game about spaceships, but it doesn't focus at all on the people inside them. So we got kind of a lot of free reign to develop the characters that would sure. fly around in these ships. Uh, so it was it was a nice, fun space opera. And, uh, you know, some of the feedback afterwards was that the comic made the video game worth it, which was a wonderful compliment. <laughs> so I, think I, that's I love true. having having read the comics. I think that's true. Oh, and as, as someone <laughs> who found the Micronauts comic way more compelling than the uh, action figures, which pretty much fell apart in your hands the minute you tried to play with them. So, uh, you know. Oh, David, you don't know how long I've waited to hear someone talk about Micronauts with me. I mean, <laughs> that is my childhood, too. I love I'm those comics. To, I'm always happy to Micronauts. Uh, yeah. And Barbara and Brian Dillon of Fanbase Press. Tell us a little bit about yourselves. Absolutely. Do you want to go first? You no, you go ahead. All right. So we're obviously Barbara and Brian to Fanbase <laughs> Press. Um, for those unfamiliar, Fanbase Press is a comic book publishing company and a geek news site. Uh, this is our 11th year uh, in existence, and uh, we've worked with wonderful creators like David Acampo. Um, and um, we love uh, celebrating fandoms and creating new ones. So uh, we not only publish comics and graphic novels, but we love supporting other creators uh, by daily reviews, interviews. We have a whole podcast network, um, but we're re also really proud of the catalog of titles that we've put out. They're available uh, in print and digitally uh, everywhere from Hoopla, if you're a, a card-carrying member of your local library, uh, to Comixology, Comics, uh, Comics Plus, uh, Amazon, and of course our own online store as well. But uh, folks might know us best from uh, the Eisner Award-nominated series Quince, uh, about a little girl who gets superpowers on her quinceanera. Um, but uh, yeah, we've got tons of amazing titles as well as the new one coming up which i'm sure we'll we'll talk about soon called nuclear power nice very nice and anything David, are, no, no, you, did, you covered it all the bases great <laughs> abalone are you decanting during the episode i i i have some decanted wine i recently got an aerator amazing oh, that is yeah that, that is impressive nice. things that the things that the pandemic has done to me are yeah. i'm going to get an aerator and drink a lot of wine this is great great radio that you know because uh, yeah. uh most people listen on itunes or whatever and so they can't see the visual but for, the, it, but it's for like, those who are, I, I, are yeah are merely listening it's a giant sort of star trek looking blown glass yeah. <laughs> decanter it's something yeah. you could easily see spock pouring something uh blue out of sure, sure. um 
but yeah, so the the pandemic is what I wanted to talk about today. We, Rylan and I, wanted to talk about uh, the state of the comics union because it's it's uh, it's been the craziest of crazy times, and uh, you know we've all faced and and faced the challenges of it in different ways. One of the things I have to say that has made the year far better for me is that Barbara and Brian have hosted a Saturday morning. Uh, comics and coffee, comics creators and coffee thing every 10 a.m. on a Saturday. I remember when we did the first one and you sort of shyly said, how many, how often? And I was like, every week. <laughs> I think I was the first one to say, every week. I need this yeah. every week. I need it all the time. I want to see my friends. And we've done that. We've done it since March of 2020. We yes. did it all the way through pregnancy. Um, mm -hmm. uh, there was one week wow. that we didn't host because I think I was in labor. <laughs> Um, but, uh, <laughs> but it kept going. It, it had, we got a host for that weekend because we mm -hmm. knew when it would happen. And, uh, it's, it's been every single weekend and we've, we've had a blast doing it. No, it's, it's been a really, it's been a really great way to keep, uh, you know, the community alive and, and connected. And, you know, I, I, I think there are people who probably aren't joining it because they, you know, they fear the like, well, it's a room walking into a party with a bunch of strangers. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but I recommend that anybody, join yeah you guys usually tweet out the link to it don't you absolutely uh, yeah. yeah it's uh, and on, on yeah for media. for those unfamiliar we we call it comics and coffee and like david said it's every saturday morning at 10 a.m pacific time 1 p.m eastern standard time um and it's really just kind of like this podcast it's it's meant to bridge the gap uh in the conventionless times that we find ourselves in right now because mm -hmm. we love seeing everyone and we love chatting with everyone um we do tend to uh steer we try to steer the conversation uh towards the uh how to help one another in terms of the industry network questions mm -hmm. or, or barriers that people might be running into because of the pandemic. Um, but we also just chat because that's a, a big part of what the conventions were is camaraderie and bonding and getting to know one another um, because it's like a, a big family when you when you mm -hmm. go to conventions. So, but everyone's yeah. welcome. It's free to join. It's on Zoom. And like David said, we, we put out the link via Facebook uh, and uh, Twitter as well uh, every single day that week. So everyone is welcome to join. Yeah, and I just want to verify. Sorry, I just want to no, verify that it is it is uh, 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 very friendly, and it doesn't feel like you're walking into a party where you don't know anyone. Because I think I did maybe the first one, and then maybe the one this past week. And uh, and 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 my my reason actually has to do with another social thing, which is one of the ways I've dealt with the pandemic is online gaming. You know, I have a D and D group, and we happen to end up meeting every day, every Saturday at ten. So I haven't been able to do it. They moved it to Sunday, and I was like, great. I'm like, Barbara, I'm going to join. Do I need to register or something? No, no, you just come on. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it works so same out thing. great. Yeah, same thing with me where it's like I, uh, I, I was going for a while and then uh, I had to start uh, teaching a, uh, a Zen class online. And so mm -hmm. uh, at the same time, so. Um, a know, different kind of public back. service to a different community. But Absolutely. yeah. yeah. <laughs> but being up service, but, but, but yeah, it's a, it's a great crew. And yeah, I mean, it's a, if you are, if you're in the con scene, you're going to know like two, three, five, ten sure. people there. Oh, wow. It's very friendly. Um, and, yeah. and if not, uh, you know, it's if not, you should. Know, and they're friendly people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. By, by, by the time the hour's up or whatever, you will know, uh, yeah. uh two, three, five, ten people. And, when, uh, when we're going to, it, so. when we're going to cons again and you're strolling around small press or the artist alley, you'll go, Oh, I, 
I remember her. I remember him. I, <laughs> I, you know, it's uh, it, it's it's I mean, it you know, for various reasons that are obvious, it it self-selects a little bit to Southern California uh, because that's <laughs> the immediate community. But obviously, David, you're in Portland. We have a couple. You know, yeah. Simon Burks joins us from Scotland every now and again. You know, like oh, wow. we do. We do have a pretty. A, a pretty far-ranging, uh, far-ranging thing. But on that subject, you know, let's talk about, you know, uh, March last year, when the shutdown, when the initial shutdown happened, it took a few weeks for pencils down to come to from every comic book company, sure. including. Yeah. I was two issues into a four-issue series, and I heard eh, maybe stop working for a minute, and I was like, okay. Uh, finished issue three and four of that a couple of weeks ago because it took about eight, nine months to go back to that. I see Bryant is... is Bryant's uh, going to get a baby right now. <laughs> yeah. I was hoping the first baby to have got. It's what they yeah. did during the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they grew the fan base. Yes. <laughs> they, they, they manufactured some human people. True story. <laughs> Certainly one response to a global pandemic. <laughs> uh, so, you know, comic book companies shut down. Yeah. Diamond revealed how incredibly shaky their business model is by not having more than a one-week float <laughs> to stay alive. Diamond shut down, comic book stores were closed, all of that, and we all dealt in various ways. And I guess maybe we'll start with how did you deal? <laughs> what was your what was your first response and, and how did you what did you do to get through it? David, you want to kick us off until we have a baby sure, to answer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I mean on a personal level, so this is what I was alluding to before, is that um I, I had, you know, pretty, I was pretty busy through 2018. And then for <laughs> me, 2019, as you guys know, like as a, the writer, you kind of go through cycles, right? Oh, everything sort of dried up in, in 2019. And, and I really was like, okay, that's fine. This year will be a reset. And, and 2020, I'll go out to the conventions and, and that's going to make a big difference. Right? So, so you were talking about being like, two issues in, I didn't even have anything. And, and I was really hoping to get something going. Um, I had been writing for, I mentioned a video game. I'd done a season. It was this NBC universal thing. It was a 16 candles sequel um, that uh, didn't go. Yeah, I know it's, it, it sounds weird, but it was very fun to write. I had never written a, a social mobile game like that before, where it's essentially so a choosing like adventure. Two candles. I'm trying to remember how old Molly Ringwald. No, th this was 40, actually a 48 sequel. candles. <laughs> this was a sequel that set the year after. And so oh. the other high schoolers are the other characters from the first film are sort of uh, uh, like uh, mentors to the to the main character who is going through this. Like, I'm about to turn 16 and I like this boy or girl, this boy or girl or this boy or girl. And yes, it was, you know, kind of gender inclusive. So it, you could select uh, what you want to do. It was a lot of fun to write. It was also a lot of effort fixing some racial stereotypes, let's say, and some problematic stuff in that movie that doesn't hold up as well in 20. So you're saying your version had less rape. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and significantly yes. less rape. And, and I think one of the subtle things was finding a way to make Long Duck Dong actually kind of um, not just a stereotype, but actually this kind of counterculture rebel, which I was very proud of some of the stuff we did there. But for whatever reason, right. that didn't really fly. But then I'm trying to look around and I'm trying to figure out, okay, let's start pitching things. There's something that happens in that time frame. Um, that I really want to write about, but it, 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 we're just, everything slows down, everything stops. And when it starts back up again, um, 
I don't know, this is a writer's block, so I can kind of share this with you guys, because this is sort of a dead in the water pitch, and I won't go into all the details, but, right. you know, kind of out of the Me Too stuff and just 2016 on, to be frank, I was really thinking a lot about, it, it, it felt to me connected to this, like, early 70s in some way. I don't know if you guys felt that at all, um, I can, but no, I, I, can, I can get that. You see where I'm going with that? And so I kind of wanted to write something about, you know, the habits of predatory men. And that seemed like kind of post Manson kind of Watergate end of Vietnam. It just seemed like a really interesting time. And so, but I also was very interested in, in, in kind of, uh, you know, I, I like fantasy as metaphor, obviously. And uh, I wanted to do a werewolf PI story set in 1973, specifically 1973. And, and, and I, and I had a whole story for it. Um, and uh and we with with Chris Anderson, we put together a great pitch, you know, and uh, and we but by the time we got it around to people and people were able to start looking at it, there were like a dozen pitches um, <laughs> just like that. Really? Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it, again, we were kind of like just a little too late. It's one of those things where, as you guys know, as writers pitching, you got to be at the right place at the right time and you can be a month too late. And they've already got a book in the pipeline that they've or a uh, a. Um, you know, a, an actor as, associated with a project they're doing or whatever it is. And so right. that was one where I, I, I finally got something going. I'm ready. I'm ready to move past this and go. And it all kind of shut down. Um, and so, uh, 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 yeah, I, I found that very tough. And, and we're now talking to people again. We've got some new projects that we're pitching, but it, it's been it honestly has been rough. And, uh, and I think one of those useful things I did is just find ways to keep writing um, in terms of like, I, I wrote a novel, I'm editing the manuscript now, but I wrote a novel, you know, during the pandemic. So, you know, that kept me going and I'm actually very proud of it. And, uh, uh, you know, yeah. So that, that's kind of been my experience in the last year, mm -hmm. maybe two years. And uh, Barbara and Brian? Well, we, funny enough, we had spent the prior year, so 2019, preparing for 2020 because it was our company's 10th anniversary. Yes. And we had all of these plans for what we were going to do all throughout the year of 2020. And it was going to be amazing. Uh, not the least of which was the biggest um, investment that we had ever made on a project, which was a hardcover <laughs> edition of Kinsey, uh, the definitive bilingual edition. And we were going to go to all the cons and it was going to be fantastic. We were going to go to Texas. We were going to like travel. It was going to be phenomenal. Um, all, you know, not only to promote this hardcover, but to promote the 10th anniversary as well. Uh, and then the pandemic hit. Um, so we went to one, no, two. We went to two conventions. Did we make it to two? We, we did. made Long Beach and what was we the other one? We went to Long Beach and then we went to a day con. Uh, it just, it was like an hour or two east oh, yes, of San did. Diego. You're right. Oh, okay. um, it was like a small border town. Um, it was a fun day, uh, day con that we went to. Um, but yeah, we, we I, I think for us, it was just a matter of we just had to laugh and keep going. So um, we knew we needed to get this book out there. We knew we needed to promote it. We wanted to get it out to all of the uh, the awards for consideration. Um, and we really just kind of hit the ground running in terms of we made a partnership with Hoopla uh, to get all of our entire catalog, including that hardcover, uh, into libraries all across the country. Um, so we went digital. Um, we made a lot of inroads with the ALA, the American Library Association, mm. and schools all across the country. Um, so it was just really a, a huge pivot for us of, you know, we, we can't let, let this get us down. Um, and let's just see what we can, what we can make of it. It was, it was also a really interesting perspective because as publishers, um, 
we've always uh, self-distributed. Uh, we've found uh, other channels beyond Diamond because the restrictions of Diamond uh, just didn't work for our model. Um, and so when the pandemic hit and when the distribution model fell to pieces, um, Thank it was you. just, it was really interesting because there was shared experiences, of course, because we were in the same boat as some comic creators. But we were also in an entirely different place because we, we weren't dependent on on that direct market uh, connection. And so uh, I think we had a lot less anxiety than a lot of individuals right. and a lot less, less uh, like, uh, different i guess we had different choices i don't know if there were less choices but different choices that had to be made so it's it, it just makes it uh i guess makes the point that it's really interesting to see how much um there is a uh a diversity in in the type of creators in the in the comic book uh industry everyone from you know individuals who are at the top of their game and are working on huge licensed properties to people who are literally like funding everything through their own Kickstarter efforts and never even, um, you know, see the inside of a, uh, a previews book. So uh, just something else that I think is really interesting looking at, at the situation as it unfolded last year. Yeah. Well, it is, it, it is interesting to see. Um, I mean, we've talked about this a lot on this show, how um, there is all this change coming. Um, there was already kind of this fire Brewing, right and this pandemic has very much poured gasoline all over it and it's kind of raging out of control i mean comics to a certain degree they're where music was when napster came around right mm -hmm. um and so things are just kind of into you know it's just warp speed now how how crazy they're they're changing and what i what i love what i've always loved about fan base press is I, I felt like you guys were i don't know two three four or five years ahead of that you guys were already kind of seeing where comics were going and and rather than trying to kind of you know, just fall in with the pack. You were trying to figure out where the pack was going to be five years down the line sure. and, and, and beat them there. And, um, and that, it, it, that was really interesting. I mean, um, for me, I was sort of somewhere in the middle and I had to, um, I had to make a huge pivot when, when all of this hit. I mean, for me, I had, um, I had two books that were with, um, were with larger publishers that were set to be announced were, you know, set to be uh, mm -hmm. solicited in diamond comic shops, the whole nine yards. And with one in particular, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to name names here, but I was at a big publisher and um, one day I am communicating with three high level people inside the company and we're planning, well, we're going to announce here and I'm getting my solicit materials in, all of that noise. And then the next day, everybody gets fired, including the EIC. And I literally don't have an email address that works at the company. There's nobody mm. left at the company who knows what my book is. I mean, there's, there's, there's maybe pieces of paper lying around or something like that. And, um, and, and it takes, I don't know, two, three months for me to kind of reach the right person and have the right conversation. And, and eventually it, it becomes clear. It's not going to work out there anymore. Um, then begins this odyssey during pencils down and with comic shops closed of trying to find a new home for this thing. Right. Um, most traditional publishers, you know, they're, they're scheduled a year and a half out, two years out. And so, uh, so, you know, I don't know, like, how do you work it out? When does it happen? And, and a bunch of sort of starts and false starts and the whole nine yards. And now finally, you know, we are at a place where things are starting to stabilize and things are starting to stabilize for me also, where, um, that book, this book in question, uh, is now finally with another publisher. Literally we are inking the documents this week. 
um, uh, the solicitors going into uh, to to previews. Um, it is going to be in previews in June, and it's going to see a comic shop in August finally. But that that's after a, a year of trying to push this boulder uphill like like crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of like David, it was like, well, okay, well, I I you know I have this stuff. I have these ideas. I mean, what, what the hell do I do with myself now? Um, and, um, and so, um, I mean, I, I took a lot of my business on a Kickstarter. Um, and, and, you know, it's, I mean, it's part of, you know, trying to figure out where, I mean, if, if comics is where music was at when Napster kind of kicked off, well then I don't know what Kickstarter is. Is Kickstarter iTunes? Is it, uh, you know, is it Spotify? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't want to make my metaphor a meta five, but, 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 you know, mm. that's the way it was going. And, you know, I, I had people like, like Charlie Stickney, who's a, you know, Scout Comics uh, co-publisher, but he's kind of a, a Kickstarter giant. Um, for, for two years, Charlie had been trying to get me on a Kickstarter. Like, dude, you got to go on. Uh, huge opportunity there, rabid fan base, you'll make money. More than that, you'll build a fan base. Um, there are people who only buy their, their comics in comic shops. There are almost just as many people that only buy their comics on Kickstarter. There's crossover, but not nearly as much as you think. Um, if, you're, if, you're only, if you're only serving one uh, audience, then you are doing yourself, you're doing your title a disservice. You gotta get in on this. And um, more than anything, I was just terrified of doing the work. I mean, I I, I knew that these things become like full time yeah. jobs essentially. Oh yeah, and, it's exhausting. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't want to do it, but you know, but finally Charlie's like, dude, if you know, if you're not going to do it now, you're never going to do it. Just do it. And I mean, I had this backup of material. I mean, I have you know, I have five books in the pipe uh, uh, at this point, and suddenly there was nowhere to take them. Uh, doors are shut. People are getting fired everywhere. And so it's like, okay, well, if I want to get these into to people's hands. Uh, if I want to, you know, I've, I've already shelled out, you know, tens of thousands of dollars on art. Like if I want to somehow recoup the, those expenses, I, 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 I have to take a shot at this. And, and I did, yeah. um, I am, uh, I, am now doing, uh, the second issue of the jump, like I said, at the top of the show, another shameless plug. Um, but I am doing my third Kickstarter in seven months now. Um, wow. And, and um and and so you know th- i mean that's how it works I and mean, if, you, if you really get in there and grind like the charlies do like the the russell noelties do um you can you know you can do three or four a year um and and man i i, I mean I, I can't say enough about it i mean the, the the money is good first of all um we made uh fifteen thousand dollars on each of the first two uh each of the first two campaigns that's you know that's on one issue which is you know pretty significant um, and you know, the money's good and the money's fine, but, but, um, you know, Charlie was, was right in that, um, more than anything, it's a fan base builder. I mean, it, it, what I've seen mm-hmm. is that, uh, there are just rabid, crazy interactive fans on, on Kickstarter that will, will kind of like, I mean, they will, once they kind of back one of your campaigns, they are, they're on board. They're, they're on the, the Ryland Grant ship and anything I want to do, they're there for, you know, it's, it's just, it's just awesome. And I, I, um, it, it was kind of lucky that this pandemic, uh, uh, from my perspective, uh, happened when it did, cause I don't know if I would have, if I would have climbed on this train, if not, and, and, you know, it's gonna, yeah. no matter what happens moving forward, it's going to be a, a very significant kind of cornerstone in my business. Well, it, it's funny how these kind of things end up being stress tests for everything, including Diamond, including the big companies. Right. And force. I mean, I think it's interesting that, you know, the pandemic hits when Marvel is low on feature films and high on TV shows. Mm-hmm. And they're certain, like, they, like they're not ready to start the next Thanos. 
arc. They're not ready to start the next thing that's going to take 20 movies to, to sell. To tell, but they've but they've got some little things that. The, and Are you I, suggesting that Marvel started this pandemic? I think so. I think <laughs> yeah. Kevin Feige absolutely some, yeah, some, uh, some, some time it. stone chicanery. Yeah, yeah, it's time <laughs> yeah, no, it's it just has struck me that they must, at some level, they're going. Wow, that was us switching to home video at exactly the moment when everybody sure, was yeah. stuck at yeah. home certainly worked yeah. out for me. You know, and on the other hand, you've got Zack Snyder releasing a movie in an IMAX aspect ratio on television. <laughs> yeah. 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 The pandemic kind three. of made that possible. I think yeah. it would have maybe yeah. never had happened oh, totally. if they Abs needed to absolutely. look at what was on the shelf, you know? Absolutely. It had nothing to do with the the dire fans. It had everything to do with HBO Max going, yep. how are we going to get anyone to watch mm -hmm. this service? <laughs> What do you know, we have? Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I was yeah. watching a fan actually gave me a login to DC Universe. So I was watching stuff on there and then seeing it yeah. slowly die. And I still think that's a good model that they screwed up. I agree. Combining, like, I don't know that I want to look at comic books on my TV, but there was something about the combined, like, because, you yeah. know, I've talked about this before, the synergy aspect it's criminal that you walked out of Avengers Infinity War and no movie theater tried to sell you a Jim Starlin comic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That like they could have minted hundreds of thousands, if not millions of new comic book fans by going, you don't want to wait a year to see Endgame? Here's how Jim Starlin ended this story. It's totally different. It's not going to spoil anything. We totally promise. Um, you know, and and I think they could have, they could have started, they could have had a, a a great revolution in comic fans had they put comic book kiosks in movie theaters with comic book movies. I think that's still an opportunity that's been lost. And when DC Universe briefly existed, I remember when I watched the last episode of uh, Doom Patrol and they went, want to read some Grant Morrison? Here's, here's, yeah. here's the Grant Morrison stuff that this is all based on. You want to read, here are the issues that were specifically adapted in what you just watched. And I think that's, yeah, a, that's a really great business model. They just didn't know how to make people aware of it, make yeah. people able to there, use there it. Were, there were problems with the app. There were problems with, yeah, the, the, the strategy behind it. But the concept, I think, is the sound. I, I think the idea yeah. is excellent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You and know. for me, just just you know, again, it, like you said, it's a or whoever said it, but it's like this confluence of events. It's not just the pandemic, but for me, um, right as the pandemic hit, I w I had actually upgraded to this iPad Pro, and suddenly reading comics digitally was a whole new ball game. It's what I've been waiting for. It's the form factor that you want um, for reading comics digitally. And so, I, you know, I love comic shops. I, I have many good friends in comic shops. I don't want to take anything away from our you know lovely uh, comic shops, but. You know, the, it kind of forced me to re-examine in the same way that you, you're talking about films and everything. It forced me to re-examine my own buying habits. And so I backed more Kickstarters in the last yep. year. I backed uh, uh, The Jump, by the way, and got my copy and it was awesome. <laughs> yep. it. So, so um, it, I've been doing more of that and been reading more digitally, taking chances on things digitally. Things like Comixology Unlimited give me a chance to go and borrow like from a library certain books that I've heard about but haven't read yet. So like mm -hmm. a lot of my own habits changed and it forced me to think about you know, my creating habits, you know, what I wanted to do. And, uh, you know, I think that, you know, I kind of like Ryland with the, uh, with the Kickstarter, I think that's a, a much more, 
it's a great way to go right now. And I'm seeing a lot of creators do that. And I think it, it cuts out a lot of the, you know, uh, the middleman in some places. And it's, so it's a great option for some people. For me, yeah. you know, one of the reasons I went with Fanbase Press back in the day was because I wanted to work with good people. I'm like, I don't care if it's in Diamond or not. That's not relevant to me. I mean, it, it's always relevant. We want to be in there. We want to be distributed. You know, I can't say it doesn't matter, but it. But I wanted to do a book with Barbara and Bryant because I would see them at conventions back when we could gather. And, you know, we would chat and they are so passionate. They're so good at hand selling their books that I'm like, these are the kind of people I want to, you know, work with. And so the fact that this sort of, I liked what you said, David, about the stress test. The fact that this is just, we're seeing how unstable this yeah. all is. You know, I, I do yeah. see that like a lot of these smaller publishers, this is their, you know, they have a lot of means of getting uh, books out to people now, you know, whether it's a Amazon or, a, you know, a direct bookstore on your website or whatever. I mean, you have so many ways to, to, to get books into the hands, into people's hands. And the audience is increasingly turning to, uh, you know, to online sources. So I'm seeing well, stuff online. I'm seeing the conversation and, you know, oh, I'm going to go buy that. Oh, I can get it really easily. Yeah. Well, and, so, yeah. and speaking of the, you know, the, the whole web series in, you know, 1999, 2000 thing, it is, <laughs> it is a similar revolution. Yeah. It is a similar, like, you know, the camcorder and the Final Cut Pro revolution. Anyone can, could make a movie suddenly. Yes. And I think yes. people are figuring out, you know, once upon a time, anyone could make a comic. That's always been true, really, if you can draw. But who the hell is going to see it? And where is it going to be? Yeah. And now it can be on your own webpage. Now it, there are a bunch of cartoonists whose work I exclusively see on Instagram. Mm -hmm. You know, and every once in a while, I'll, you know, they'll put out a book and I'll buy the book. But that democratization of distribution, you know, yeah. uh, I, I've done Kickstarter and Diamond and I've done projects that went from Kickstarter to Diamond. And, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, you can be in Diamond. But if you're an indie creator, you're going to be in the back of a giant phone. Yeah. Book. Yeah. Even if you have a neon sign hanging over you. It's it's still tough. I mean, one of the many Very reasons true. I recommend people do Kickstarters, not that we all need to feel uh, more warmly towards all of the publishers, but man, learning how how sharp those margins are in com when I was publishing my comic, when I got the quote from the printer, and then here's what Diamond's going to take. I was like. Why does yeah. anybody stay in yeah. this business of monthly floppy comics? Holy, because we had originally considered that our our Kickstarter was going to be floppies. And when I did the math on shipping and printing, <laughs> I was like, hell, yeah. never, never. Mm. That's a terrible. <laughs> and I'm talking about, you know, it's different. Ryland, you're doing them one at a time. I was going to do four. Yeah, yeah. And have to mail mm. them, you know, do a different mailing every month. I was like, well, dad, we're not ever doing that. <laughs> like, That's you know, when you're making yeah. a dollar a comic, uh, it, uh, no, it's, but it's, yeah. I always feel like it's good to know how things work. It's good yeah. to know the nuts and bolts. And even if you're mad at your publisher for the page rate they're paying you, if you do the math, you might find out that that page rate is pretty good compared to what they're going to make on it. You know, and I'm again, I'm not, I'm not excusing any number of companies that have horrible nightmare page rates, um, which are beyond insulting. But you know, I have learned firsthand how hard it is to make money on a floppy, uh, on a monthly floppy in a in a shop. So you have to have a certain yeah. amount of respect.
Well, yeah, and, and so two important points that are being made to hit right on the head, you know, for for anyone listening, like thinking about navigating these waters, is yeah, like like has been said over and over again, you do not make money as a creator putting uh, uh, floppies in, in in comic shops. It just doesn't happen. And 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 even as a publisher, you have you know you you have Barbara from Fanbase, and you have uh, you know Avaloni from uh, from from Kevin Eastman's company saying we don't make money as a company when we do this even. <laughs> so you as a creator, you you do not make money. Uh, you can go to Kickstarter and make money. You know, yeah. I mean that that no, is mind-boggling to me. I will say, yeah. if you do Kickstarter to Diamond, if the comic is already one hundred percent paid for. Yeah. Before you, you go to right. Diamond. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Fine. Yeah. But even yeah. with that, I still won't do floppies again from that. I'm yeah. still going to just do yeah. trades because yeah. we not. actually, we only did one series where we did print issues of floppies and then we never did it again. Uh, and our model now is we do um, issue to issue series, but we'll do them a digital month to month release and then follow that up with a collected print edition. Um, but we, there's this, just no money. There's no this way. Is one of my, this, is, this is one of my things I say, no matter what artistic enterprise we're talking about, there are things that distributors know are pleasing to your ego, and they will use those things to take, to take advantage of your exhaustion and, mm -hmm. your, and your need to be... I produced a record in 2009, spoken word horror. My father wrote some horror short stories. I had them read with music. It's a really nice package. But the, the record company that made us the deal, it was 50% of digital sales and 12% of record store sales. And that 12% was split among all of the creative partners, about three, mm -hmm. four people. And I said, well, what if it's just digital? They're like, then it's 50%. Uh, but there was no way to get more than 12% in record stores. And I kind of thought who would, for, first of all, in 2009, I was like, and a record store is what exactly? What, 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 where is this mythical record store you're talking about? But as a filmmaker, distributors take advantage of your desire to be on movie screens. If you sign a contract for someone to put your indie film on movie screens, you will never see a dime of profit from that movie. I guarantee you, like, unless you are coming into it with a lot of money and a lot of big stars, which nobody is on their tiny little independent film. Um, and they know that they can charge you for things with your, with your theatrical release. Uh, so... The thing about Kickstarter for all of those kind of projects is not only do you have the creative control, but the bookkeeping is also under your control. And <laughs> yeah. here, in the, here in the 21st century, you just really don't need the intermediaries between you and the marketplace that you think you need. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to get back to, to answer the question that I asked you guys, I had the first trade paperback from our first Kickstarter with Kevin Eastman, the Drawing Blood trade paperback, was supposed to come out April 29th, 2020. It was supposed to hit stores April mm. April 29th, and of course it was all canceled. And even as we start to come out of the pandemic, I remember talking to Kevin and saying, well, why don't we, well, Pete, you know, we had orders for it. Should we fulfill those orders? And he said, David, we don't know that those shops still exist. 
Like you can't, you can't honor an order yeah. for a shop that like, it's going to, it's going to end up in an empty lot somewhere uh, or in a shoe store because that person went out of business. So we're probably going to solicit it again at some point, but also like Barbara and Brian, I 2020 was going to buy be my year of amping up my convention presence. Yeah. And I tabled at Long Beach, which I hadn't done in years and had a good time doing it. And I was ready to do it again. And I had tickets to uh, <laughs> the, the next big con was Emerald City. Yep. While looking at the map of COVID outbreaks in America, where the biggest red circle was literally over the convention center in Seattle. Like it was really like yep. right there. And my wife was like, we're not flying into the hot zone, you know, so that uh, Donald Sutherland can drop a fuel bomb on us and, uh, you know, wipe out the virus. <laughs> For those of you who've seen Outbreak. Uh, you know, like we're, we're, we're not going to visit the outbreak monkeys to sell comic books. That's not going to happen. So, uh, you know, like all of, like everybody, I had to put things on hold and I was yeah. very lucky that, uh, Elvira wanted to do a Kickstarter and, uh, I was able to, you know, like you, David moved by current events. She except she liked my pitch, which was. What if the people who took bleach because Trump told them to take bleach turned into ravenous zombies? <laughs> so I actually, as you do, I wrote a comedy about the coronavirus outbreak, which was tricky and dangerous at the time. But the Kickstarter yeah, yeah. did one hundred and sixty-six thousand dollars because Elvira has a lot of fans. Elvira, yeah, and that's uh, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's good to go into. The, I've been lucky. The three comics Kickstarters I've done, two yeah. with Eastman and one with with Elvira, and I have no, I have no illusion that I raised one hundred and sixty six thousand dollars right. or one hundred and twenty something with. But uh, that came as a pivot off of not going to Emerald City directly or indirectly or, or... semi indirect. It was about a month later. That, okay, that Dynamite reached out to me and said Elvira wants to do a Kickstarter while we. You know, since we can't be in comic shops, uh, let's yeah. try it. Let's try a Kickstarter. And yeah. you know, with that, with that fan, that fan base is not. There's a a non comic fan base that is going to buy the books and not oh, even sure. care about reading them. You know, they're gonna they're gonna put the they're gonna put the they're gonna take the uncracked comic book, put it in a frame, and put it on their wall. Like they're not gonna. They may not even read the damn thing. Um, but I'm very lucky that we share politics and, you know, she was like, Oh yeah. something about people drinking bleach because of Trump. That's a fantastic. <laughs> idea. And she was behind that 100,000%, which was very, very useful. But now I want to talk about moving forward into the new world with shops starting to open and conventions starting to come back. Barbara, I know you said you guys were going to skip, uh, the now possibly not on Thanksgiving San Diego Comic-Con, they already, like, everybody got mad at them. <laughs> they did. And yeah. I'm like, oh, but, but I, but I, my family hates me, so I think <clears throat> um, But that's not everybody's situation. But what are you, what, starting with uh, Fanbase Press, what are you guys looking, looking for in the new world, in the new year? That's a great question. So I think that we've pretty much uh, come to the 
the resolution that 2021 will be conventionless for us. And, and we're okay with that. I think just for the safety of our family and uh, for our readers that, uh, because I, I think that we, we uh, take a heavy responsibility that if folks see us as Fanbase Press and our brand going to a convention, that they may take that as a sign that uh, we feel that it's safe to do so, or that we feel that it's safe for them to do so. Um, and I, I don't know that that's necessarily the case for us. Um, even once we get the vaccine um, and there's more information about those who are vaccinated, um, I think we're just taking this year to kind of give ourselves space and give our readers space. Uh, at the same time, we don't have any judgment for anyone that feels safe once vaccinated to go to conventions this year. If you have the capability to do so, you know, go for it. Absolutely. Um, but we will definitely be waiting until 2022 to do anything in person. Uh, now, that being said, we, uh, in light of not doing that, and since we'll have a a physical trade paperback coming out in October, we will be doing a ton of virtual things, um, whether it be conventions, um, some of our creators may decide to do in-person cons later this year. Um, so we'll definitely be diversifying again in terms of the events that we're doing, what we're taking advantage of uh, in the, the virtual space for the time being. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's also, I mean, I, I assume that also having two newborns factor yeah. somewhat into that somewhat. it's not a great time for you to be at conventions anyway exactly until they're fully vaccinated i don't feel great about introducing them to the um as we all know at conventions the cesspool of germs that exists well, yeah. without, with a, without a global Concrete, pandemic right? exactly I've been, say, I've been saying that from the beginning of this it's like look we all got sick at conventions anyway yes. like yes. that was like getting Getting some horrible disease at a convention is not like some new thing that just started happening. No, that's just like the weekend that you go to a con. That's what happens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, the me and my wife. Crud. Me and my wife will both be fully vaccinated by, and it will have taken effect by like early May. Mm -hmm. I think I go for my second on the fifteenth, um, and then a week a week or two later, we're both good. So. We'll probably go to San Diego. I already, you know, I book. I was able to book a great hotel room. You know, there, there's, there's always that <laughs> when something is in this uh, dire situation. But uh, David, what are you thinking about for the new year? You know, it's a good question. I mean, as you guys know, um, you mentioned to it, uh, you mentioned it a minute ago, and and I alluded to it earlier that you know I was hoping that 2020 would be a big con year for me because, you know, as writers. We go there for a couple of reasons. One, tabling. If you want to make any money on those floppies that didn't sell in the store, you can actually do that at a show, you know. And I and 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 Chris Anderson and I have tabled uh, multiple times at shows, and we do really well, like hand selling our books. We make uh, we do these uh, one shot horror books that are like twelve page kind of EC comics. Uh, style uh, stories, and we've done like four of them now. Um, well, actually, but three we sold at conventions, but then the fourth one, because it was during the pandemic, I didn't even, I forgot about this, I mentioned it. Chris came to me and said, what if we did an Instagram comic? Like, And I said, okay, but we have to do square ratio panels and I'm going to tell the whole thing in that. And then we're going to assemble it in a six, in a, like a two by uh, uh, like six panels on a page across the entire 12 pages. 
Um, and and we did that. And it was really fun because we gained like a lot of the, the audience uh, through the Instagram comic. But then we really needed the second step of taking it to the cons and selling it because it looks right. really good in print. Um, right. And I'm very proud of it. Uh, but, you know, yeah. So, so that's one aspect. And then the other aspect is the bar con, which all the writers know you you have to go you, you don't it's not that you sell your pitches at a con that that's that doesn't really happen although sparrow and crow we did kind of basically get a handshake deal at a con back in like 2011 so it does happen but um it's rare and what you do is you you end up at the bar after the show and you chat with other writers and you end up talking with editors and you meet you maybe exchange information whatever and you know after that you set your year up based yeah. on that yeah. You know, so you know that. And 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 that's what I was hoping to do. And then that all fell away. So it's really tough because now I'm in a spot where I'm like, well, you know what? I'm not starving. I'm not I'm not dying to go out there and, and catch everything, but it is a powerful thing if they're going to be editors and writers and your net your social network is out there, yeah. that this is a good way to set the balance. You know, if I had been at a con, I could have maybe tested the waters with the werewolf pitch and known that like, oh, there's already stuff. It, it was just a little more, a few more degrees of separation to kind of cold, you know, cold email or, or get introductions via email. And it just wasn't quite as personal as meeting someone, which is really to me, one of the benefits of, of going to the cons. So on that one, it's powerful, but I'm not sure what I want to do yet. I, I do like, however, I, although I'm not sure about the Thanksgiving show, I like that it might be a smaller show. I like the idea of smaller shows. Smaller shows, if publishers and editors are there and writers and you know all your collaborators, the artists and everything, those shows are some of the most phenomenal ones. I yeah. love the Rose City show in Portland here. The Emerald City, even though it's pretty big, is still a phenomenal comic show. I mean, people are there, they love comics. So, so you know, I, yeah, it's tough, but I, right now I'm undecided. I'm gonna just kind of play it as it lays. Yeah, I met, <laughs> I met Kevin at Emerald City, so it has a, it has a warm, it has a warm place in my heart. The whole trip yeah, was worth yeah. it, certainly for that. And, uh, you know, we're talking about this actually on the Saturday morning call. It would be interesting to see if San Diego, you know, to see San Diego do the Long Beach thing and do two smaller cons a year rather than yeah. one must go to can't miss con every year. That's, uh, you know, because it's, you know, it, San Diego Comic-Con is, you know, the, the abusive ex-girlfriend you can't quit, you know. <laughs> she, she beats the hell out of you every year, but it's also kind of a good time. So, you you know, you put up with it, uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a harsh mistress. But that said, 80% 80, 80 of the work I've gotten in comics has not only been handshake deals in bars, it's been handshake deals in one specific, in the odyssey bar at the hilton in yeah. san diego like that bar is <laughs> crucial to my my comics work and to be uh, to be away from it for a year and a half is painful um yeah not that anyone else was there you know waiting for me but uh but yeah it's uh <laughs> it is definitely we're all going to have to sort of judge by november seems far enough out to me yeah you know i actually i San Diego canceled, and then two days later, Biden said everyone's going to get be available. There's going to be vaccine enough for everybody May first. Like you know two what, days later, 
I feel like there's going to be a weird twist of fate where I think that that is the case. However, I think what's actually going to happen is that, and I think we talked about this on the Saturday call as well. Yeah. I think instead of the pandemic uh, ruin, ruining the November con, I think it's going to be the migrant crisis that's going on. And I think that the, because right now San Diego Comic-Con or uh, the San Diego Convention Center is being used to house migrant right. children. And I would wow, not be yeah. surprised because they're um, stating that the the children are staying there for up to a month, if not more, and they're just ramping things up. It would not surprise me in the least if they yeah, no, that's, end up that's entirely that possible. Space. Yeah, absolutely. That's entirely possible if they don't get them out to Camp Pendleton or Twenty Nine Bombs or you know one of the desert yeah. army locations or anything like that. No, and yeah. again, it's all completely unpredictable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, uh, and it's but no. What I was going to say is that I think if Biden had made that announcement two days earlier, Comic San Diego wouldn't have canceled and they would have right. absolutely tried to do it in July. <laughs> if Biden was saying we're all going to get the, the jab in May. So I'm kind of yeah. glad that they jumped first because I remember Emerald City waited until literally the last minute in 2020. Yeah. It was maybe five days before. Like it was very frustrating. Had too. already had their artwork shipped to hotels in the Seattle area, which they were then going to drive up to. And they were like, well, I guess I somehow have to explain to the hotel how to slap a label on that and send it back to me. So it was a, it was a, it was a big giant mess, obviously. Yeah. I had a, like a message board with some professional peers and stuff that, and everybody was doing the same thing right at that time. It was, uh, uh, are you going, are you going? And it was before they had canceled it, but there was a question, oh, I heard that they're going to cancel it. Hang on a day, you know, wait another day. But there were people, you know, there's people coming from Australia. There's people coming from all over, you know, to go to, uh, uh this Emerald city, where, as you said, it was like the, the hot zone and, uh, nobody wanted to do it, but you know, it's a powerful draw. So yeah, that, that one was a, a big mess that, that, yeah, that I, I can't, up I, until Emerald I can't City. say what my decision would have been if the con had been in New Hampshire where there were yeah. no cases. You know what I mean? Like would I have yeah, still yeah. gotten on an airplane <laughs> that week? Like I might have. I don't I don't actually know. Well I I, I was supposed to um I mean I, I I mean the the craziest story that I have from the whole pandemic thing is that I actually I, I got a, a movie shot over uh it was a movie I wrote shot in Italy like while the world Italy. was on fire in Italy. Yeah. And, and, you know, nice. in Italy was like the center of this pandemic for, for a, a really long time. Now it was Northern Italy. Um, uh, that was crazy. And this was in Rome. So a little bit different, but, um, but I was supposed to be in Italy for the, for the shoot. And not only that, I was supposed to be in Italy, like, um, in, uh, in February, uh, before, you know, kind of as the shit was hitting the fan, um, the, the movie was funded uh, mostly by the Italian government. And so um, in order to kind of qualify for certain, you know, uh, uh, bonuses and stuff like that, I was supposed to actually do work in Italy. And so I was supposed to spend most of February in, in Italy working on this movie and, um, you know, came within, I don't know, like uh, 18 hours of actually getting on a plane and going to Italy and, and, uh, I mean, it, it seems absurd. And now. you would have uh, been trapped there for quite some time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well that was, the it was not, I, cause I had a friend who was traveling mm -hmm. and was in Rome and they literally were like, you, we're yeah. mm -hmm. not leaving the country. America yeah. doesn't want you back. Italy doesn't want you to get on a plane. <laughs> yeah. Like, sorry, yeah. you're stuck. Here no, for 
Yeah, and I have a four-year-old at home, and uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it would have been, um, uh, and yeah, I don't know, um, you know, didn't um, thought better of it, obviously, and, and didn't go, but it was, it, I mean, those are interesting times, I mean, now that we kind of have some hindsight and some, you know, some distance from it to look back and see, I mean, you know, I was, um, I mean, once the, once the science, you know, uh, uh, came out, once we were actually reading the facts of the case, it became really, but, you know, I mean, I was, I mean, really early on when we just started getting a whiff of this, like, you know, I, I, I wanted to think, oh, well, this is the flu and I'm not, I'm not worried about getting the flu. Right. Of course that, 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 that changed very quickly. Right. Um, I, 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 I don't want you to think that. Oh yeah, I don't want you to. Think I, I was like, arguing yeah. those facts with people like yeah. late, to late in the year that just yeah, didn't yeah. want there, to there be, it. There, Yeah, there are people <laughs> that are still arguing it. I, 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 yeah, I, I'm, ta I'm talking about minute one of this thing, right? right? Yeah. I, I, I wanted to believe that, and mostly, yeah. it, and it was mostly because I had an all all expense paid a uh, 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 trip to 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 Rome uh, uh, coming where I was going. Right, to yeah. everybody wants silly, that. And, That's impossible. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, and 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 you know, and also it's like you know, I mean, you want to be on the set of your fucking movie while it's shooting, right? Um, and uh, yeah, and um, it 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 didn't happen, but um, but yeah, I mean, I I, I just can't imagine it was like um, you know, we we came close, like I, I, I just I want to recommend uh, this came out before the pandemic, and it addressed the pandemic better than anything I've seen since. There was a TV show called Avenue Five on HBO. You can probably watch it on HBO Max. I'm sure you can. It was about a space uh, ocean liner, basically, that instead of having a six-day trip back to Earth, it misses its window, an engine blows out, and it ends up on a six-month trajectory back to Earth. And of mm. course, the passengers get tired very quickly of their new conditions. And uh, some of them decide that they're not actually in space, they're on a reality TV show. And there's a particularly, and it's a comedy show, but there's a particularly horrific nightmarish episode where these people walk out the airlock into open space and explode basically and die. And, and even, and, and okay, so that's the first six people. And then the next six people are like, no man, that's all special effects. We're being right. conned. It's all a lie. And those people go into the airlock and explosively uh. decompress. And it's about four groups of people before the captain says, I need you all to stop killing yourselves. We're not <laughs> on a reality show. We are in deep space and you're going to blow up if you walk out the airlock. But I remember thinking it was a chilling but beautiful piece of sociological, you know, of human understanding what humans are writing. And then when the pandemic happened, I'm like, when I see someone without a mask, I'm like, this is someone standing in the yeah. airlock going, no, let me off the ship, man. I know yeah. it's going to be a, a green room out there and, you know, a table <laughs> with an edible arrangement. You know, why am I, why am I staying on this stupid ship? So I, I that's deep into the series. It's one of the last episodes, but it's, it's really the best thing about the pandemic I've seen. And it was done before the by, pandemic by someone. It's the guy who did uh, Veep. So it's that same yeah, sort yeah. of corrosive view of human nature. But, uh, you know, you wouldn't have believed that, you know, 30% of Americans would be walk out the air, airlock people, but 30% of Americans are walk out the airlock people. And that's, mm -hmm. uh, that's the world we live in, you know, <laughs> but uh, we yeah. should, we should probably wrap up. We're heading, we're heading towards an hour. Uh, but I want to talk about, uh, 
think you hit a little bit, Barbara, on you know what your plans are for the next year. But let's hit just as a last thing, like what's the what do you see for the industry coming out of this giant crisis? We talked a little bit about you know the Kickstarter of it all and all that, but like sure, you know, we just learned that you know Marvel and DC have now both stepped away from Diamond, mm-hmm. and that's a tight, panic shift. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think uh, two things, and I think Ryland touched on both. In that, I really think that this is a pivotal shift for the industry in terms of one for indie creators, and uh, as we've seen with Keanu Reeves, uh, major stars as well. Kickstarter, I think, is here to stay. It may have ebbs and flows, and you know, uh, times that it's more popular, but I think it's it's going to be a go-to platform for a lot of individuals. Um, But I think that digital is really going to be where things are headed. Um, Not only because uh, everything is virtual, I I think we're just getting more used to that. I think that uh, like David was saying, um, the content is really being created and displayed in a way on digital devices that is more beautiful and more adaptive to those devices. Um, But I think that it's just, what people are used to at this time. I think when digital, I remember when digital comics first started and everyone was like, what is this? This is never going to catch on. No one's going to want to do this. Um, But I think, you know, 10, 11 years later, we're finally getting to that place. So I think it's, I think it's here to stay. And then uh, just like you mentioned with the big two, um, as well as other publishers, uh, us included, uh, a lot of people are moving towards the, the book distribution network. Um, Yeah. Places like uh, Penguin Random House, Simon and Schuster, Follett, um, Baker and Taylor. Um, there's a huge part of the comics reading audience uh, that is YA, that is female identifying, and a lot of those people buy books online. A lot of them pe- buy them through bookstores, major chains, or independent places like uh, Bookshop or uh, indie, IndieBooks.org. Um, so I, I think that that's where you're seeing a lot of the industry shift rather than going through Diamond, you're going to book distributors, um, which is a huge reason why we go through uh, the ALA and why we work directly with schools and libraries as well for mm-hmm. that exact reason. That's that's where the market is shifting. So we want to shift along with it. Um, but for us uh, specifically in terms of Fanbase Press, we are still going. Um, we've been uh, working with creative teams. We have, as I mentioned, mentioned at the top of the show, Nuclear Power, which issue one is launching digitally later this month on the 21st via Hoopla and uh, Comixology. Um, it's, uh, we've described it as the Handmaid's Tale meets the X-Men, um, but it's become an extraordinarily prescient story. Uh, it's by uh, Erica Harrell and Desiree Proctor, two creators from the DC Talent Workshop, along with uh, Lynn Yoshi, who also comes from the DC Talent Workshop. Um, but um, their moms uh, were a of Cuban heritage. And so they've crafted a sort of post-apocalyptic alternate history tale of the Cuban Missile Crisis where the bombs did go off. And so what happens uh, to governments after that? What's left after that? And to what degree will governments go to really take control and deceive its citizens? So it has become really prescient, but it takes on xenophobia. It takes on the tenets of democracy and uh, the importance of, you know, free and open and informed electorate. There's the cover of it right there for anyone watching this. There's Nuclear Power Issue 1. It's a nice. cover. How many, so, how many issues? It's six issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we'll collect them into a trade in October timed with the anniversary of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Nice. Uh, and then later this year, we actually have another series that we're going to announce, which we're 
super excited about. Um, I will just say that we're moving into the graphic medicine genre, which we've never done before. Um, but uh, we're, we're very excited to do so. It's a really heartfelt story, uh, as are all of our stories. We really like to have stories that resonate with audiences and tell meaningful um, meaningful tales with, with really resonating characters. So I would say just stay tuned for that. <laughs> I just want to tag in and say that uh, I read the first issue. That's the that what I was showing you, and it's really good. I mean, Eric and Desiree and Lynn are all friends of mine from the talent development workshop, and I was able to kind of connect them with Barbara and Brian, and it remains something I'm super proud of that they came together and actually put this book out. And I just read the first issue today. Uh, uh, Brian, Barbara sent me a copy, and uh, um, and it's really good. And it does stand that uh, the the Handmaid's Tale meets the X Men really holds up. Um, in fact, it, it, it's kind of almost better because the the <clears throat> X Men have come so far in their in their in their sort of serialized publishing evolution that they've got their own island. They're their own, you know. They they've yeah. had their own culture, their own. This brings it back to okay, what if something happened and these people started, you know, right. changing, you know, and the sort of horror, the body horror, the uh, the power fantasy that comes with that and all of that. So it really does a good job from what I've read. Oh, I always feel like all long term continuities end up becoming the worm auroribus and sort of eating its own tail. Yeah. It's so hard. Wrong. It's so hard to avoid that, you know, and and it's it's so good to have a fresh take on it. And I, you know, obviously I I I I mostly I've written a lot of historical fiction, so I appreciate, you know, the the Cuban missile crisis framing of it sounds like great. Uh David, what are you what are your plans for the year? Um, you know, like I said uh, earlier, I, I, we've got some pitches going and I'm looking around. Um, I, I am working on this novel manuscript, trying to get that done um, and have some interest in that possibly. So, you know, I'm just toiling away. I have a feeling I'm not going to have anything really published until, you know, 2022 at the earliest. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I'm excited about a lot of the stuff going on, though. I mean, just... Um, you know, kind of. You mentioned this, uh, David, uh, a minute ago about the, and Barbara mentioned it too about the big two and, and distribution changing. And I think that's a really fascinating place, especially with, you know, DC in specific seems to be really going after digital issues and you know the book market distribution. And I, I feel like that may be the way things go. But mm. in the meantime, I'm just trying to like keep my head down and, and get stuff made. Um, you know, I do have a, I don't know if I'm really allowed to talk about it, but there, a, a TV option thing that came through one of our books is nice. all signed and apparently done. I don't know what I'm allowed to say at this point. So, uh, but that was another thing that was slowed down by the pandemic. Um, sure. But uh, as I am hoping that that will raise the profile a bit and open some doors sure. and kind of keep things going. So I'm kind of in this weird, I'm emerging from this cocoon of 2020 into, I don't know what still. <laughs> I think you're you're definitely allowed to say woohoo. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, I, I I think it's I think it's time for me to start pressuring you to make the Kickstarter move. Uh, Charlie gave me that gift. I might give you that gift. I think you'll uh, <laughs> I think you'd make a big splash over there. And you know the beauty of it, man, is like you know uh, um, you know that, that that story. Like we had this pitch and we were excited about it and we took it around and and you know and for whatever reasons we didn't get bites on it. I mean that was. That was my life for a long time, but it's and and yeah. you know, yeah. uh, David Pepo said the same thing with the OZ. I mean, he he had this this pitch that was great, and he took it around, and he was getting kind of a lukewarm response. And then, you know, then he's like, "Well, fuck it, I don't need to wait for permission anymore. I'm just gonna Kickstarter. Lets me just make my book. So I'm gonna make my book. I'm gonna put it out, and then, you know, uh, 1,200 backers and you know, 
fifty thousand yeah. dollars later, uh, he he had a hit on his hands, and then every publisher uh, you know in the world was begging him for the book. So um, I just you know there's just such an opportunity there, and I think uh, you know I think you know I mean you you make great books. I mean I'm a, I, I'm a huge fan. I'm yeah. uh, <laughs> you know uh, make uh, you know make the uh, make the jump with us. Come join yeah. the cult. We have been talking about it. I think Chris and I will probably do a Kickstarter later this year. I, we were talking about actually just taking the one-shot horror, those short horror comics that I told you about, and putting together an anthology because I really want to do like the nice bound edition. And these are ones that we've been printing ourselves just for shows. It started as a, here's a convention special. We're going to only print like 50 of these and sell them. And it was feasible that way. It was cost-effective that way. And it was really fun. And uh, and I think, we, so we talked about that as a possible first one. Or we have another story that we've developed that we're like, you know what? We may just need to take this straight to Kickstarter. So we may be on there <laughs> before do you know it. it. Tons of love to be had there. Well, we usually we usually wrap up with just people saying where they can be found and uh, where they can be followed. So, uh, Barbara, why don't you tell us where where the kids can find Fanbase Press? Absolutely, you can always find us at fanbasepress.com. We're on all of the social media channels: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Apple Podcasts. So, uh, just look for Fanbase Press. We're out there, and uh, we're always happy to be of assistance. So, even if you're uh, not looking to publish, you just want some uh, promotional support, feel free to reach out. Uh, we can assist you with reviews and interviews, uh, and you're always welcome to join us uh, on Saturdays for comics and coffee. And they have many fine podcasts on which I am often a guest. Not that that's why you should listen, but that's... But it's a bonus. It's a bonus, yes. Uh, And uh, David, where can people find you in your work? Let's see. Well, I'm on social media, Twitter and Instagram at D-A-C-A-M-P-O, so D-A-C-C-A-M-P-O. You can go to the Fanbase Press website and get The Margins, uh, the book I did there with Paul Montgomery and Amanda Donahue. Um, Yeah, exactly. Uh, Lost Angels, it was published through Comicer Press, and I think you can still get it through Emeralds. There's an what is it called? Emerald Comics Distribution, which is sort of a Pacific Northwest distributor. It's also available through Baker and Taylor um, and it's on Amazon. So anybody can get it there. Um, and then uh, all of my stuff digitally is on Comixology. Um, right. So you can always find me there. Yeah. Excellent. And Ryland? I am at Ryland Grant on all forms of social media, R-Y-L-E-N-D-G-R-A-N-T. I always spell it because it's not a real name. My parents drunkenly arranged letters and settled me with it. And so now I have to spell <laughs> it for you. Um, yeah, uh, you can find my uh, my books. Uh, there's Aberrant, the Ringo Award-winning Aberrant, and the four-time Ringo Award-nominated Banjax. Those are available in fine comic shops everywhere and on Amazon and Comixology and other purveyors of fine comics uh and then there are my kickstarter books um as i said uh the jump issues one and two uh currently available via kickstarter uh you got about two weeks left uh as you're listening to this uh on debut day so uh don't miss out on that um and uh that kickstarter is is kind of amazing um uh i don't do a lot of cons in general and i you know generally only do socal cons so uh, if you want some signed books from me, this is kind of the best place to do it. Um, uh, you know, copies of Aberrant, Banjax, the whole nine yards, rare con variants. Uh, my other Kickstarter book, uh, The Peacekeepers, is also available there. So, uh, yeah, check it out. It is a uh, it is the Ryland Grant shop right now. So, uh, so yeah, see you there. And I uh, can be found at davidavalonefreelance.com, which has all of the links to all of the 
various socials. I do this podcast. I also do a podcast called Pulp Today, which is mostly me reading old books and telling you why you should read them. And uh, yeah, I've got Elvira meets Vincent Price will be solicited in a couple of months, I think. Uh, that's <laughs> what I was writing during the pandemic. Uh, Elvira the Omega Ma'am was the pandemic story, which I, is not available to non-Kickstarter people yet, but you might be able to find one on eBay. Uh, <laughs> and we just agreed to do a sequel to the Omega Ma'am, uh, which will be a Kickstarter later this year. And it's, it, which is, I can tell people, is set entirely at San Diego Comic-Con. So that should be great fun. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for being such terrific guests, David and Barbara. I know Bryant is off with the twins. Yes. And <laughs> Teaching them uh, how to use the force and whatnot, <laughs> like you do with twin babies. And uh, thank you so much for joining us, guys. And uh, we'll see you on the next exciting episode. Thanks for, Thanks for having us. <laughs> if you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to smash that like button. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or other fine purveyors of ear crack, please leave us a five-star review. And wherever you're watching and or listening, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We'll see you back here next week for more madcap hijinks on the Writer's Block. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.